Good afternoon. Please take your Bibles and turn together with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and I will read the first 11 verses for us. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Amen. Let us come to our Lord in prayer. Father, we rejoice in the fact that we are people who are saved by your grace. And now we can live knowing that we have risen with Christ. Help us, Father, to understand this glorious truth that Christ is all and in all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have lived in this country for the past seven years. And one thing that my wife and I are terrified about, which has been a growing challenge, which is increasingly growing, is that finding bedbugs in our house. And these bedbugs in this country do not have any distinction. They come uninvited into our homes. And because we usually have people in our homes, we occasionally find a bedbug crawling in one of the sofas or the carpet. And when we see one, and my wife is mainly experienced by now to identify even the tiniest ones. She gets on this search and destroy mission. And she will not rest until she has satisfactorily searched a house for any infestation. She will employ me and anyone she can find in this search of hers to seek and destroy. She becomes like this mommy on a mission to kill. Because she knows the headache which even one tiny bug can cause. And what it means to deal with the whole process of doing pest control, throwing the infested furniture, and the painstaking process of cleaning up the house after a pest control to keep the house child-friendly. And I'm sure you folks can relate to this specific issue to one degree or the other. And Paul in this letter to Colossians is exhorting these believers to have this kind of military mindset to seek and kill the sin in their lives. You and I have a responsibility as God's children to deal with our sin in our lives. 
we have a responsibility in the language of these verses to kill it. Or as Puritans used to say, mortify it. To put it to death. And we need to let that sink in. This is not something that we are to acknowledge intellectually. And this is not something that we say to ourselves, hmm, well, that's true. Amen. I'm a child of God. I'm supposed to be dealing with sin in my life. It sounds right. I'll agree to that and move on. We are not just to acknowledge intellectually. We are to actually examine ourselves in the light of that truth. Just as my wife sees a bed bug and immediately gets into this mode of seeking and destroying mission, we need to have the same sense of urgency or even more when we see sin in our lives. Let me repeat this. Think about this again. You and I are responsible when we see sin in our lives and according to the inherent and infallible and living word of God, we are called to put to death the sin that is in us. Not just some sins, but sins in all of its forms. Sins as it offers itself to us externally in the form of temptations, and as a sin as it reveals itself in us internally. In terms of the flesh, wherever we are aware of sin, the believer is called to kill it. These verses deal with it, and I want us to hear what God has to say to us And I would like to see three motivations to kill sin or mortify sin. Three motivations. Firstly, we kill sin because we are raised with Christ. First, since we have been raised with Christ, we should seek the things that are above is what we've seen in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4. We are to set our minds on the things above, not on earth, that we are to be heavenly minded. And Paul, the good pastor, he told that these Colossians Christians to be heavenly minded, but he doesn't just leave it hanging out there. Now he's going to give specific instructions about how it is that our lives are to look heavenly minded. He's going to flesh it out for us, those who have received this by the grace of God. What are their lives to look like in relation to Christ? Christians' union with Christ, though it is mysterious, It reveals itself in our living. What Paul does here in our text today in verses 5 through 11, he addresses mortification, the doctrine of mortification, putting to death the deeds of the body. To be clear about this, we cannot claim to be united to Christ. We cannot claim to know him. We cannot claim to be a recipient of his love if our living remains unaffected. That is why in verse 5, he starts by saying, put to death, therefore. Paul gives in this passage, we pursue sanctification because we have died. In verse 5, there is a therefore, that the Christian died to the dominion of sin. The Christian is no longer bound by sin. Paul says, therefore, put to death the old self. So he's saying, whatever is still earthly in you. He tells us what we are to do. That is put to death. The Christians are commanded that there is an enemy that needs to be put to death. There is a dirty garment that needs to be laid aside. It needs to be put off. We see the image in verse 5 where Paul is saying, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Now what are we put to death? And Paul states it in general terms. And he also gives some specific examples. But first you can cover it all with this small statement, 
what is earthly in you. That is what we are to put to death. The earthly, that covers it all. Not just the things that are found in the list to come, but the other things that are not found in the list as well, we are called to kill. What is earthly in us? And it literally in some versions helps us to understand it is the members of our earthly body. Not that body is sinful, but the body is where the battle occurs and we are called to wage war, seek and destroy that is earthly in the members of our body. These bodies are not yet redeemed and present in these unredeemed bodies is the flesh. And so we deal with drives and passions and lusts and tendencies in the unredeemed bodies that displease the Lord, which does not represent the heavenly nature and those are the things that we are called to kill. That is, that is the battle we fight daily, the desires of the spirit and the desires of the earthly flesh. We are saved internally, but we live with the flesh. And so we experience that battle in this body. And in this, he gives us five sins of desire. They are all related under the big umbrella category of idolatry. He lists, so put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul is here personifying sin. He is saying, Look, kill it. Whatever is left in you, kill it. Mortify it. Steal its energy. Steal its power. Steal its very life. So that, it, so that it doesn't have dominion over you. Take away its strength and you have a new identity in Christ that you are united to. The first word that he says here is kill sexual immorality. The first word, this word in Greek is called pornea, has no place in our Christian lives. No place, he says, for impurity or lust, the passion that is the affections that are misplaced, and evil desires, all things set on earth. Mind that is set on earth, that would grab hold of us. This is the list which is not meant to be comprehensive, and many other passages talk about different types of sin, and even Paul's writing, he, he addresses other forms of wickedness. But what we get here is the most visible ones. These are the visible ones when we think about sexual immorality or passion or lust. And as he talks about the most visible one, the sexual immorality, he also goes on to the most hidden one. And he, he, and he is giving this breadth of sins here. The most hidden one is coveting. He equates coveting with idolatry in verse 5. And coveting or desiring something that is not ours, that you don't possess. We exalt something or someone in our affections and it takes place of God. You might just start thinking like this. Ah, you have such a great life. You have such a loving wife. They, they have such a good job. He has such a fast car. They have such an obedient child. They had just had a such good vacation. And these simple thoughts begins to dominate, begins to grip us, they begin to season our thoughts, they begin to motivate us, and they begin to shape and inform how we are to live. Coveting, it becomes idolatry. It takes God off the throne and puts something else there that is driving us. And Paul says, mortify it, put to death that belongs to the old man who has his mindset on the earth. 
that you have died with Christ and the old mind died. So now you live in Christ with your mind set upon heaven that you have been raised with him. It goes, uh, he, he also, Paul also gives another list of sins to put off here. And we can see that in verse 8. We are called to put to death, he provides a list because not only in our identity, now we are united with Christ, but our identity is new because we are united to one another. So he says, look, you have a new identity in Christ in the church, you belong to Christ and belong to one another, therefore there shouldn't be anger between you. There shouldn't be wrath, there shouldn't be lying, there shouldn't be this double tongue. Because you know what? It only disrupts your intimacy. Not only it disrupts your intimacy with God, but it also disrupts your relationship with one another. You have a new identity, Christian. You're identified with God and you're identified with his people. So stop pursuing these things. Hunt them, kill them, and put them to death. And what we are to see that these desires are fundamentally idolatrous. Even good desires can become idolatrous. This means it puts other things such as sex and money and power and your sinful desires before God. Paul says that we cannot renew our old nature, but we must put it to death. And friends, this is a reminder that battling sin is an all-out war. It is an all-out war. Sin doesn't take a vacation day. Sin doesn't take a week, week off or a day off. Sin doesn't take a sick day. Sin is after us and there is no civilian zone or a no man's land where we can flee and say, aha, here I am immune from sin. You see, we sometimes think in these ways, after a full day of work, when you come home fully exhausted and when you start to entertain in your heart this thought, this is now my time. Haven't you seen that is when your flesh is waging war within your soul? I'm sure that it is when you are tempted to give into the passions of your flesh. Maybe it is having a meal in a gluttonous way or just giving into the mindless consumption of the media or, or this feeling that why do I have to pour out myself and give, lay down my life for my wife when I had a really busy day? Why should I now think of serving and submitting to my husband when my day was so busy? Now, how many of you drop your guard daily and give in to sin? Think about it, my friends. We must mortify sin and subdue our flesh because, as Owen says, mortification enables us to have a healthy spiritual life. The point here is simple. We are to eliminate anything and everything that will tempt us to fall. If it is a person that you have been texting in odd times and having prolonged chats, which at the opposite might seem harmless, but you know deep down in your heart that you should be more careful, then voice up. If, if it is a location, the place where you are is not helpful for you, such as a beach or a mall, don't go to that location. If it is a group of friends that you know and the conversations among you will be only unwholesome, then part ways. If it is a Netflix series or a reality show which is filled with profanity or an app that you know stirs up your desires well, then delete it. 
If it is a drink or a substance, stay away from it. Get rid of it. If it is a website, get rid of the access to it. Block the website. Install accountability apps. Get rid of your smartphone and get a dumb phone. This is an all-out war. And Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or it be killing you. So our motivation to kill sin is because we have been raised with Christ. That is our identity. And secondly, the motivation that we kill sin is because he is coming in wrath. The second motivation beyond our identity that he gives for sanctification is Christ, who is our life, will come back. If you go back to verse 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Christ is coming back for his people. He doesn't abandon us. You will see him face to face, this one, that you love, this one that you are seeking to be conformed to, and that you are seeking to become more like he is returning. He is coming, so if you are going to see him, and if he is eternal, and Paul is saying, if he is returning, why is it that you are going after the fleeting things of this world, which are temporal, which will disappear? He is going to appear, and they are going to disappear. He is coming back, and he is coming back in wrath, in judgment. So why do we put off that is earthly in us? Verse 6, because the wrath of God is coming. So is the wrath of God, brothers and sisters, that is the motivation for us to fight sin by the power of the Spirit who dwells in us. However, if you have come in this morning and you haven't been united with Christ through faith, understand that you are still living for all the idolatrous things of this world. If you are here not in Christ, you are standing opposed to Christ. And because of that, his wrath is coming for you and his wrath will stay upon you. But for us, why is God coming in wrath? And why this should motivate us believers? Because God is serious about a sin. The fear of God and the fear of God's judgment is actually a good thing. There is an imbalance in the church today because it does not understand the fear of God's judgment. We talk so much about grace, 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 but we forget that he will one day hold us accountable. We need to understand that. After giving that, you might call this as a negative encouragement that he is coming, but you better watch out, believer. And then he also gives this positive encouragement in verse 7. He says, in, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Now let's just compare for a minute. Let's slow down and look at our Bibles and compare two verses. Let's just compare verse 5 and verse 7 briefly. Look with me in verse 5. He says, you need to be killing sin. That is verse 5. Then in verse 7 he says, these things you too once walked. I mean, how do we reconcile this? How does Paul reconcile this? He speaks of the present battle in verse 5. And in verse 7, he likes it something that is in the past. Because reconciling these things will provide us with this tremendous encouragement to continue fight against sin, knowing that he is coming. What Paul is saying is that when you became a Christian, when you were united to Jesus and his death and resurrection, 
the power of sin was broken once and for all by the work of Christ. Yes, you and I fall into sin and sadly we offer our body as an instrument of sin and sin will trouble us. But the reality is sin has no real power over us anymore. It has only the power that we choose to give it. You are no longer a slave. You can kill sin. You can make progress. You must. So don't give up. Don't sign a truce with sin. Kill it. So he's talking about two different positions of us in Christ. Some of you must be listening to this and you must be really discouraged right now. I'm sure. Especially if you are struggling with sin like all of us are, you need to get to the next part and look down in verse 7. Not only we mainly deal with our sin like an executioner, we have to deal with our sin and the motivation is because we kill sin because we are part of a covenant community. That's the third point. We kill sin because we are part of a covenant community. Paul already hinted at this when he talked about the former way of life in verse 7. But in verses 9 to 11, there's a clear shift from any sense of individualism to who we are collectively as God's people. You see that another in verse 9. All of them here, it's written in plural. It talks here in verse 11, it's talking about the community and the believers in the community. It's not out there how I deal with my sin out there but it's how I deal with my sin here in the community. There used to be a way we lived. There was a way of living directly connected to the world's courses. But now, we are part of a new community and we live in a certain way. And we are going to see that, but look at what he says in verse 9. He says, Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. The original Greek language doesn't say old self, but it says put off the old man with his practices and then put on the new man. That's what it reads, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, there's a, lot of, a whole lot of confusion about what Paul was saying here that we need to correct so we can see where he's going with this major key of fighting sin. Most of us would have been taught we put off the old self and put on this new self as some abstract idea. This is not an abstract concept. He's given us concrete teaching here. Most of us have heard this, but this is not the individualistic approach. It is not how Paul is using this verse. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth and in heaven, making peace by the blood on the cross. If you see here that first verse, and he is the head, of the body, the church. Just remember that phrase, and we will, we will look at now Ephesians. Ephesians and Colossians are two sister letters of Paul. They have this identical language, and Paul uses this term, new man. O- only three times in the way it's said here, and it's same in Ephesians. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. 
Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. These are some words, similar words that we see in Colossians. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. You see that verse? Or old man, he is talking the earthly Gentile way of life. He is saying to put off the old man, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the new man, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The true man, the new man, and we remember that verse that we saw in Colossians chapter 1 verse 8, who is the head of this new man? The body of the church? Jesus Christ. So the new man is the community of believers that Jesus has bought and paid the price for the church who is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now as we come back to Colossians 3 in verse 9, it says, do not lie to one another, which is community language. See that you put off the old man with its practices, same exact language as the Ephesians, and have put on the new self or the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Now look carefully at verse 10. And if you, if you want to do a furthermore exercise, why don't you remove that phrase, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of creator, between 9 and verse 10. Okay, and let's read it and see how it goes. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. He's not talking about individualism here. He's talking about a place, about a group of people. Is this new? Christ saved all believers out of this world. He has placed us into a new community that has a new way of living. There has been a radical change in the identity of a believer connected to his whole new covenant community. It's not your earthly background and your earthly identities that define you or will transform your life. It's your conversion and your connection to the body of Christ. Now this is critical because rather than the abstract put off and put off the old life and put on the new life, he gives you something very concrete that you can measure that you could look to see how you fight. Paul says that believers have put off the old man with its practices. So think of it this way. The old humankind and its practices the worldly way, it's been put off. And you put on the new humankind that's being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. God is not just renewing us, he is renewing all of us. He said through the power of the word. So when you come to Christ, your identity in Adam's lost race is discarded. It's not who you are anymore. 
you must not look to the world for how you live your life. You got to stay out of the world and you got to be thinking of the new community of Christ. You're part of a new human race that's being renewed in the knowledge of God as revealed in his word. This isn't just happening to us as individuals. It's happening to us, to all of us in Christ. That is why Paul is saying in verse 10, put on the new self, the new man, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. God created the first Adam and the first humankind and Christ, the second Adam, a new creation, a new humanity in Christ. And because of this, he says in verse 9, we need to be people who speak the truth. This needs to be a church where we don't lie to one another as the world lies to us. To remind us of who we are. God has placed us in a new community. What if you go into the world? What will you listen? Here's what you will know. They won't point you to Christ. We need one another who will not back down from speaking the truth. Who will not back down from pointing us to Christ. Paul clearly writes in Ephesians 4 verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, the union of Christ's language. We need people who will speak truth to us. Friends, if you surround yourselves with people in the world, they will lie to you about these things. They will tell you sexual immorality is normal. They will say, everybody does it. The sins of the mouth are normal. Everybody talks like that. Everybody gets angry. It's normal. Brothers and sisters, it is bad when we live in the world and the world lies to us. But it is horrific when the people in the church lie to one another. A church ought to be a place where we can be open about our sin. But not where we look at our sin and say, ah, it's okay. No, we all know, we look at one another and we say, listen brother, listen sister, let us walk in the newness of our lives and let us look to Christ and live for his glory. So we are to speak God's truth to one another. We are to tell you that you have been bought with the price so we don't use our bodies in immoral ways. So that our tongues are to be offered to God's instruments of righteousness. That it's wrong, James says, when out of the mouth comes blessings and cursings. That we tell the truth to one another. Not because we are better, because we are all under the same authority. Surround yourself with people who will help you grow in the knowledge of God's grace and will speak truth in your life. And will help you with the burden of your sin when you find yourself trapped in it. You need the body to help you with the weight of sin and to help you to be delivered from, uh, the, from your old self. You need to be open to confess it because we get so weary fighting against sin. And, we, and God didn't design for us to fight it alone. Sin wants to isolate us so that we will give up. But, will God, but God will never give up. See, there is the reason Paul uses this imagery of clothing. Here, put off and put on, it's even more explicit in verse 11, if you look at this. Because you know what we think of clothing, fundamentally as a comfort or fashion, that's how we think of it. But in the ancient world, our clothing it was our identity. 
Your status, you know how you can tell whether a person was a slave or a master, whether he's a merchant or a priest, whether he's a political official, from what their clothes look like. So we see here, here there is not Greek and Jew, there is not circumcised and uncircumcised, there's no barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is saying, we put off these things because you're no longer a slave, it's not your identity anymore. You're no longer a master, it's time for you to stop dressing like those things, like the world. Don't walk in the rags of your old life, dressed like a child of a great king. We cannot use the same dirty cloth to do anything good. Think of this imagery of using a dirty cloth that is your old self and you use it to clean a slightly dirty window. What will happen? The dirt on the cloth will be transferred onto the window and it will make it even more dirty with lots of smears. This is the same thing when we try to do anything good apart from Christ. Put on the new self that has risen with Christ, clothed in his righteousness, we renew our minds, and in our new identity, we kill sin, and we do good. Now, we don't have a dirty rag. We have a clean cloth where Christ is the head. With this, when we wipe that window, it becomes clearer and clean without a spot or blemish. Our fruit will be God-honoring when we in Christ put off sin in our lives. Your identity is not based on these things. He gives four categories. It's not based upon your ethnic barrier. That's not who we are when we walk in this room. Not based on our religious barriers, circumcision or uncircumcision is not based on cultural barriers or social barriers. Christ is the center of our relationship. He is all and in all, and Christ is everything in this place. That's who we worship here at Grace. That's our identity. We are called to live in this way, and everything else should fall on the side. The body of believers is where we come in. We speak truth based on the scriptures. We don't let anyone in the assembly say that evil desires or malicious speech or sexual immorality or foul talk, that doesn't matter. We don't say that because that is a lie out there and it is a bigger lie in here because we know the truth and we must rage war against our sin. But God's not left you to yourself he also gives you the means of grace to put off and put on, and he has provided all that we need. So as we conclude, let me close with these few practical applications. Firstly, those of you who are here because you have, you have to, or some friend invited you, or children, listen to this. You will not have any idea to deal with the radical problem of sin if you are an unbeliever today. Maybe you never trusted Christ and that's the problem. You make a profession of faith with your lips, but you know that you have never trusted Christ truly. You have never dwelt, dealt with the problem of your sin as it is causing you every problem in your lives. The things in your life is the result. And unless you have first been raised to new life in Jesus Christ, 
Paul is not giving a mere prescription to moral behavior here. And before we can tackle our sin problem, you've got to be sure that you have fled from your sin to Christ and receive his salvation. I beg you, look to Jesus who died on the cross and rose again on the third day so that if you believe in him by repenting of his sins, you will become this new man. Secondly, we must use the primate means of grace that are given to us to kill sin. The word of God, prayer, these are private means of grace. We cannot expect to make advancement in killing sin if we ignore the weapons of God has given to us to combat it. Neglecting these things means that you're neglecting your soul. You can't fight your sin one hour a week. Thirdly, you must not neglect the public means of grace. You need to be gathering in the church as close to every Friday as providence permits so that the preachers and the pastors and the members who know you can speak truth to you so that you can't hide. It's easy to hide when you are everywhere else but not here. And fourthly, you need to get a band of brothers and sisters to fight sin. The one hour a week is not enough, friends. If you, if you get serious about your sin, you're going to be saying, how many times can I gather with God's people so that I can get, with the new, get new in my new self? In the world, you will see several times the world is going to say sex and speech, which is evil. Then you need to look to Christ. Then you need to get yourself brothers and sisters who will point you to Christ. Sin thrives in shadows and thrives in secrecy. So get plugged into, into this unique corporate worship, but also into meaningful relationships where you confess sin with one another. Reach out to members in the congregation that are mature and make practice of confessing your sin and discuss what repentance would look like. If you haven't done in this past year, even once, please think about it. Why don't you do that? Yes, we need sermons and lectures, but most of us are educated well beyond our level of obedience. We know theology, but we fail in our Christian living. We need others who will speak to us, who know us well enough to say, there is a sin issue in your life, brother. Let's, let us work together in fighting sin, putting off sin, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So brothers and sisters, since we have been raised with Christ, since Christ is coming to judge us, because we are part of this new covenant community where Christ is all and in all, let us with much zeal put everything that is earthly in us and let us put on Christ and kill sin. Let me pray. Father, we rejoice in Christ Jesus, who died for our sins, who rose again on the third day, and by the power of his spirit, we can now, Lord, fight sin. Thank you, Father, for this gift of salvation. We pray that, Lord, that even as we are thinking about our own sin, we pray that, Lord, that we would not live our lives as defeated people, 
but as people who are renewed by the power of your word, that we would grow in Christ's likeness. Help us, Father, to understand these glorious truths, and may we spur each other on, Lord, to love and good deeds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.